And as we get ready for uh, Acts chapter 8, got a quote there from an early church father, Tertullian. Kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. For the seed of the church is the blood of Christians. I'll tell you what. Nandor said he's going to make one for you. (laughs) Got you running around all over the place, don't we, young Nandor? Um, The death of Stephen, as as we saw in Acts 7, just heralds an expansion in the church like uh, it hadn't before. And uh, quite... quite, uh, quite the story here. This is the story of the Gospel. So as we get ready to uh, look in this section, that's a huge part in a transitional portion of the book of Acts. And this is the second area of mission, the first mission work, Jerusalem, um, Judea. And as we move into Samaria, the mission work goes big time. And it was all caused because of the death of Stephen. That's why it moves on. And it seems like his speech, his sermon that he gave, would be to most people negative results, wouldn't it? And, of course, that was the very trigger that um, caused the persecution of all the Christians. It was because of, the, of Stephen that a whole avalanche came down. I mean, it just things just exploded. And because of his testimony, because of um, his witness, because of uh, the preaching of the Word of God, that public testimony unleashed an anger that was so wicked from mankind, but it was also experienced by the name by a guy by the name of Saul, who uh, we know later becomes Paul, and it seems that. There was a tragedy here that what happened to Stephen. But looking at it from God's angle, we know that um, this is part of the plan that he has for the church. So uh, Stephen played a huge part up to that time and all the way there. And it will uh, go even much further because of that. And it would seem like the, the church was kind of fractured because of this. But what it did, it sent people everywhere. And as I was reading through this, this week you know it's in the Bible and I know it's real but keep thinking this was real outside of Christ there hadn't been anybody that had been killed yet martyred first one after Jesus Christ to be martyred this this Stephen was and it really happened now put yourself into that place knowing that wow I I just lived down the street from this man or, I knew him. Hey, I worked with him. I know who this guy is. And I can't believe they killed him. And you might even not even be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, it's really going to make an impact. You've got to be thinking, if they killed him, and we know they killed Christ, and he preached in front of people, what could happen to the rest of us? Now imagine, if it's somebody you really know really well, and you hear about a persecution like this, what would it do to you? Well, they, they started scattering. 
And that's exactly what Jesus had in mind. If you're a Jew, you're wondering, especially if you're an apostle, Jesus said, you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're thinking, well, how's that going to happen? We're going to go out into the Gentile world? Us? (laughs) How's that going to happen? Just like this. It's going to start with this kind of persecution. (laughs) And so when we make an evaluation of all this and we're looking at it God's angle, it makes sense. But if we're looking at it from a human angle, um, then we really are making uh, a wrong evaluation. We're not seeing it the way that God... It. We're not seeing it how, how the Holy Spirit works. Um, Holy Spirit is in the business of taking things that are so negative and looking like losses and turning them in to victories. And that's what we see all the way through here. And all you have to do is look back. So far we've uh, just covered seven chapters, but you remember Peter and John. And of course, they get thrown in jail, but then somehow they get out. And what did they do when they did that? Go preach it again. And it meant more people got to hear the gospel and they were able to do it in a place that most people would never get to and that was even in the Sanhedrin preaching the gospel to to the leaders of Israel. So uh, God allows the gospel to reach areas that we can never even imagine and he can put us into those places but persecution is is the way that he that he used that and it's kind of like trying to stamp out a fire someone has said that uh, you know the harder you jump on a fire the more that it scatters the embers out in different places (laughs) and so that's what's kind of happening here so as we approach this chapter we're getting ready to take a giant step and uh, it's quite the effort. And uh, because of Steeter, Stephen's martyrdom, of course, we go to Samaria. You're talking Judea. It's going to be covered now. But we go to the Philistine area. We're going to go to Antioch and Cyprus and Asia Minor. And then finally, all the way out into Europe. The Europe that we know of uh, because of this persecution. Uh, this began as a Jewish thing. And in Acts we started seeing that first step. You had Stephen there, and he's dealing with the Jews, but they were Hellenist Jews. They were kind of like Greekish Jews. Um, they had that culture. <laughs> Greekish, yeah. It's kind of like geeks, Greeks. This was an extension. It was a gentle extension, but that was kind of moving out there. But it really hadn't gone past the Jews yet as a whole. And now... It's getting ready to make that that big step. And so Philip is going to come on the scene now after Stephen. Philip is another one of those Gentile, or not Gentile, but Greekish Jews. He's a Jew, but yet Greekish culture. He's been around those people. And um, uh, he was uh, one of those men that was selected to serve the, um, the widows. He was along with Stephen. Philip was mentioned in that group. So we get to really kind of concentrate on Stephen the last few weeks. Now we look at another one that God uses. And you have to uh, thank the Lord for him, for his um, uh, godly obedience and uh, of preaching the Word of God. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer.
as we prepare for this Word. Father, we thank You for this evening. Thank You for this day You've given us. Just beautiful, gorgeous weather. And um, Lord, we, uh, we thank You for that. And uh, it is quite a relief. And it's always quite a relief just to be able to get Your people together and uh, we just talk about You and, and fellowship and just enjoy uh, the company. And uh, Lord, we uh, pray for Your Holy Spirit to uh, get us into deep truths of how You work and um, that we would get to know You better. That's really what we want to do is to know You. And so help us to do that tonight. In Your Son's name, Amen. Uh, let's read it. Uh, let's pick it up. We kind of got into this last week. Uh, first four verses and that will cover on all the way through 25. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, They were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria claiming to be someone great. And they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified, spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
Wow. This sets the stage for a centrifugal explosion of evangelism. Remember D. James Kennedy? Evangelism explosion? Get that book out. Um, evangelism is really happening here. And it starts with this section of the persecution, Saul in hearty agreement. And uh, little did he know what was going to happen uh, as a result of this, uh, especially in the future. He didn't think he would ever become a Christian, did he? Um, matter of fact, we know that he's responsible for killing so many Christians or getting them persecuted, and we know that. Whatever Stephen went through, Paul went through much more. Stephen had a wonderful blessing of dying, and it was pretty quick, really. Paul just kept getting persecution and persecution and persecution and physically being battered. And he never died until finally they chopped his head off in Rome. (laughs) And that was actually told by God... um, to Ananias, who was um, helping Saul out whenever he was recovering uh, from being knocked off the horse and the time he was becoming a Christian. Um, here's, here's the quote. The Lord said to him, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And boy, did he ever. <laughs> you know, we, we know about the sufferings of Paul. And he got a lot more than Stephen ever got. Stephen was killed quickly. It was with stones. What a way to go. But you know, there's a parallel. You remember Stephen? Where did he preach at first? Went to the synagogues, right? Especially the, uh, the Greek, Jewish Greek synagogues. The Jews rejected Stephen's gospel. Where did Paul go? Went to the synagogues. And we know they rejected his gospel for the most part. Many did trust in Christ. So Stephen was accused of speaking against Moses, the law, and the temple. Guess what? Paul was accused of the same thing. Same kind of things. Stephen was dragged out of the city and stoned. Well, same thing happened to Paul. Remember, he had been stoned. And he had been dragged out of the city. And so uh, we know that Stephen was stoned. Uh, Stephen was a martyr. And of course, Paul was too. Um, so he paid for his own life what what he did he always regretted it later he never forgot about it he wrote it uh, quite a few times about what he had done he never forgot what he had done but yet he knew he was a man saved by grace and uh, kept by grace and uh, but he knew that he had uh, it was it really wasn't punishment for him this is really about glory. <laughs> glory to God. And also, ultimately for him, he would reach uh, glory too. He also, Paul also or, agonized over people just like him. But, you know, the ones that, that were still in their sins. Ah. And his brothers in, in Jesus. Good point. Because yeah. he had been where they are. He knows what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I said Paul also suffered in agonizing over his brethren, Hebrew brethren, you know, 
from from uh, his past life and those who had not become converted, those who were still in the law, you know, under the law, under the uh, under uh, you know that were still Pharisaical and all that, the ones that were still bound in their sins. Kind of like what's in Romans uh, nine there at the first part, you know. Oh, he do, you know, he he wished himself to be accursed for his yeah. that his brothers. Like and sometimes that kind of suffering, <clears throat> you know, can be as painful or even more, you know, when you when you're uh, feeling like there's, you know, is there any hope for somebody else, you know, that you're close to or that you have bonds with in, on an earthly basis, you know, what I'm saying. Sometimes that kind of suffering is in agonizing over a person's soul, you know, is, is very hard. It's very hard. He knew it. He felt it. And that's something we should be always doing. Be feeling that, right? Yeah. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. That's a vivid word. That word really deals with destruction. Um, not to just die. There, there's a horrible, uh, a horror in this kind of death, this kind of destruction. And uh, so the the death of Stephen, this dis- destroying of him, as as Paul wanted to see that, this set off the fireworks. This is where it really, really goes. And it's just like when people see a little bit of blood, it's like they want more, or it's like a a wolf whenever it finds. Uh, a dead animal. There's blood that's there, and they, they they satiate. You know, they want more and more. And so this is what you have. You have the religious leaders, and then the crowd even wanting uh, this blood. It's like a piranha. After a piranha goes after. Uh, they continued on. They they got more and more angry. And so anyway, people are being scattered everywhere. This is a real persecution. People are uh, coming into other people's homes. They're being dragged out. Maybe they pick out uh, one of them who is a Christian. They, They take the wife or mother out of the house, drag her out, beat her up, kill her. Maybe take uh, the kids. Maybe take the whole family. Drag them out of the home. Be coming in at midnight, taking them out. These kind of things were happening. So people are having to leave. They're having to go. And so they're driven out. And it's, But it's interesting. It says, except the apostles. Did you catch that? No, they were, supposed, they were told that they were supposed to go. But it's like for a little while, they're going to stay back to kind of hold the fort. They're not running. And to, get, to keep that establishment that they have, they want to keep it in Jerusalem. They don't want to lose Jerusalem and go out elsewhere. They've got to keep that as a central focus. And Jerusalem was for a long time. Then I think we hear of it going to uh, like Antioch is a, a major part too. So anyway, um, we, we see this. Uh, we see this scattering. And it says in verse 2, uh, some devout men buried Stephen. Could be Christians. Uh, I have re- read whenever it says devout 
uh, almost always that means somebody that is devout religiously, Jewish-wise, not necessarily a Christian or a Christian yet, (laughs) Um, but they were definitely religious. And remember, you've got Jews. These are involving Jewish people. Yeah, they might become a Christian, but I can't agree with this killing. See, there are other people that maybe they're not uh, convinced of Christianity, but they're saying, we can't treat anybody like this. This is just horrible. So it might be some of these guys that come, they bury Stephen. It's, it's a tragedy for one of their own to be just laying in the street. Somebody has to take care of that. So there was a burial. They made loud lamentation over him like they would at a... wanted to make sure that, like a funeral was, was done. And um, so even if they might say, well, you know, I don't agree with Stephen, but that murder is wrong. They, they might have... All of a sudden, people are hearing about this the next day, the day after. And all of a sudden, you have people moving into your town, getting away from Jerusalem. Now think about that. Put yourself into that position. And uh, here's, a, here's a guy that, that's lived on this, in, in his house for a while, and you're living right next to him. He says, so where are you, where are you from? Uh, Jerusalem, why do you come here? Well, um, did you hear about Stephen? Yeah, I did hear about Stephen. What, what, what's going on there? That, that's, that's horrible. Yeah, um, it is. Well, he believed in Jesus Christ. He believed in the Messiah, really. And because he did, um, that's the reason that he was killed and he spoke about him. Well, what are you doing here? Why are you? Why did you come here? Because I'm not welcome in Jerusalem. I had to get away. I, um, I too, uh, I love the Messiah. I believe him. I trusted in him. Wow, you must really trust in him and believe him because if you are running away, you're uh, you're getting away from there and. You still, what about him? All of a sudden, you've got all sorts of opportunities. Do you see what kind of opportunity can raise? All of a sudden, people are asking who you are. What do you believe in? Why are you here? Well, it's because of the Messiah. And you get to explain the gospel. Well, guess what? You're just doing that naturally. You're not forcing, a, uh, you know, you're not coming up to somebody and saying, Do you know the four spiritual laws? And you're not blasting them, coming out of the water, you know, saying you're a sinner, you're wicked, and you're evil. No, it's just taking a story that is true, and here is who he is. Here's what's happened to me, and you're just telling us you can't help but say anything but the truth. And that's what the early Christians were doing. They weren't forcing a witness. It was all. It was just there. Why are you here? What are you doing? What an opportunity. And that's what the Lord was doing whenever He ran people out of town. He, he took one of His great men and got him killed so people would scatter. Now, um, it's interesting. Saul began ravaging the church, dragging off men and women. Um, he hauled them out of the houses. That's what it's talking about. It's, it's uh, dragging them. It's, it's used in uh, the Gospels and John where um, there was a dragging of the fish. They caught so many. There was a dragging of, the, of that fish net, all the fish in it. 
Well, that's that's a, literally they were coming in, arresting them, grabbing them, and just dragging them on the dirt out to the street and doing whatever they were going to do with them, throwing them in jail or whatever. Literally dragging. Can you imagine the police coming into somebody's household and just dragging and forcing them out? That's the kind of thing that was going on. It wasn't just a little persecution. It wasn't that there were like you know, 10, 15 people. They were after every Christian. Whoever they found out about. Boom. Christians now are taking the Gospel out. They're getting out of Jerusalem. Now we get the preaching starting at uh, verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. Now, there's a different word here. Here's the word preach. Okay? And this is euangelizo or a good message or the good news. And it's talking about these people who had been scattered. They're preaching it or euangelizo. They're just giving the Gospel. They're giving the good news. The Messiah was here. And here's, here's the story. They give that gospel. Give, uh, give the good news. That's what they're doing. Well, Philip goes down, says in verse 5, went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. There's another word for preach. This time, it's a different word. It's Caruso. The t-shirts were Caruso. Or you had Caruso. Barb, did you have Caruso on one of your shirts, right? Or you had it somewhere? Okay. <laughs> Got to like that cat. What a preacher he is. <laughs> Proclaim to... Pardon me, Johnny. Freedom. To Harold. <laughs> I can't ever resist that. That's, that's what it means. Um, so they're out there just giving the good news and, and, and preaching it. And uh, the, the fire is being stamped out. People are trying to kick it out. And what's happening is the embers are just flying all over the world now. <laughs> they're, just, they're going everywhere. And uh, so as they went about, it says, though it had been scattered, went about. They went about uh, and, and they would say whatever opportunity they would have to say. Here's what happened. Here's what's going on down there in Jerusalem. Have you heard the latest? Well, oh, you're kidding me. They're killing people for... For what? You know, so this is in Samaria. And remember, Samaria and Jerusalem, uh, two opposites. They hate each other. And Samaritans are half-breeds. Jews, they worship at the temple. Samaritans worship at their temple. They think they've got the right one. So to the ones in Jerusalem. So uh, he went north to Samaria, and that's that was where the northern kingdom was. Uh, remember the split they had. You remember the woman at the well, and you remember where that was at. It's in John four. <laughs> no, is that Samaria, right? The Samaritan woman. And of course, Christ just led her right into the conversation. Met her there. It was a divine appointment, but. Uh, he takes this woman who had how many husbands? Five, or living with one, you know, and uh, that just blew her away. Philip is going there now. Usually, Jews would skirt that area; they would go on the other side and miss Samaria, not to dirty themselves up and go to the enemy's territory. 
But this is the next place where God had in mind to go. And but they did know about the Messiah. They, you know, used some things. They they had the Old Testament. They knew about that. So it really wasn't a big transition to be talking about the Messiah. This wasn't anything new to them. They'd heard about him. They knew about him like like the Jews in Jerusalem did. So you you've got guys ready to teach the word of God. That's what they're doing. And of course they're they're making quotes out of the Old Testament. So um it says uh, he be, he began proclaiming Christ to them, the Messiah. He and that's specific, isn't it? The crowds were one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip. They heard and saw the signs which he is performing. So he's doing what Jesus did. Preach the word, heal. That backed up what the word was about. They're hearing this for really for the first time now. And from the case of many who had unclean spirits, they're still around. Jesus cast out many, many, many demons but they were still around. And so here we are in this area that had to be heavy in spiritism. They were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. Many had been paralyzed and lame were healed. This is incredible. Philip is doing this through the power of God's Spirit. And there's all sorts of rejoicing. So they're giving attention to the word that he's speaking. They see the signs that he's doing. Many are coming to Christ now. There's much rejoicing. I guess. If you'd see somebody that was healed right right there, wouldn't you be rejoicing? People are becoming saved. They hear about the Messiah. Now they become believers. And they see this. And, and so it's, it's all backed up. And, uh, oh, this is, this is a good thing. One man was sacrificed. And now you have probably thousands coming to Christ in a short amount of time. And the Christians are going everywhere, just scattering. Now we we'll go to the third one. Part three, and this is where you see you're going to see true believers who have faith, and you're going to, uh, who have and profession of faith, and you're going to have some who make a profession of faith. They believe, but they're not really converted, and that will continue on, and of course through, through the rest of this chapter. But Philip is still at the heart of this ministry right at the moment. Now, this deals with the sorcerer. This is Simon Magus. And, uh, and of course, mag- magic is, is the idea of, of part of that name. There's a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. They all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying this man is what is called the great power of God. And I don't think you, we take this lightly because this man to them was just absolutely remarkable. He was one that had to be sent from God. The great power of God that's here. And uh, he is astonishing people with what he's doing. And of course, remember there has been um, there have been demons that have been possessing people. This is a dark area, Samaria. Uh, they worship God, but they worship God in the wrong way. And uh, so... He has this magic, and of course you can go back to the magic lore. You can go back to Medo-Persia. 
I think you can think of Zoroastrianism that was going on at that time and before that for uh, centuries. It involved astronomy. It involved astrology. It involved the horoscope. Uh, I guess you could think of... um, some kind of a scientific superstition that would be involved there, the the horoscopes and spells and divinations and all sorts of things like that going all the way back to Zoroastrianism. It's hard for me to say. But actually, it can go back further. We can go back to the Tower of Babel because you remember that the ziggurats and there they came up with all sorts of um, demonic things. Other kind of religions came right out of at that Tower of Babel. And uh, so here we have, that's been going on for many, many years. And um, a lot of this is uh, related to the Zodiac, and it was basic probably to Simon's operation when you find out what those magicians were about. Uh, He could do some tricks, card tricks and those kind of things, you know, and probably be able to, um, have you seen those guys that, that levitate? Now, there are some scientific explanations of what they're doing, and there is trickery in, in that uh, by just deception visually and having people stand at a certain place. And I, tr- I tried to practice it one time to see if I could make it look like I was. it's a matter of having your tiptoe one way and another foot covering that. It looks like you're off the ground if you stand at an angle. So there are some things that you can naturally say that's going on. I think there's a guy out of New York, and you've probably seen him on TV before, and people, you know, just are amazed by that, and they just they go crazy. They can't believe it. it looks like the guy is levitating. Now, some of this is is just bewitching people just by trickery, but sometimes there are things that go further into this from the, the demonic side, and he's duped them. He's had them buy in to what he's doing, and some of these things are actually happening. Well, to go on a little bit more about this great power of God, no doubt this uh, man, Simon Magus, other people knew about him and there were other writings. You've heard of Justin Martyr in the second century. Justin Martyr said this in his apology, number one. He was considered one of the apologetics of the early church fathers. And uh, he wrote that there was the remains of... um, I guess, of a stone. And there was supposed to be this statue that was there in Rome. And it said this, on this stone it said, Simon Sancto Deo. Simon, Holy God. It means Simon, the Holy God. I think he had a God complex. He thought he was God or a God. That's how powerful he put himself up. And he wanted people to worship him. He wasn't ashamed to announce it. And you notice this man is what is called the great power of God. I'm sure he billed himself as that. And so he had quite the following. And it was a pseudo-science, a pseudo-philosophy that he had. Uh, It has been said that he might have had a lot to do with Gnosticism. We're talking a man of great stature in this city of Samaria. Quite the following. Um, he was at maybe uh, uh, at least one of the sects of um, Gnosticism or a founder of Gnosticism. That's quite the thought. That's who 
Philip is going to be running into. Uh, he definitely counterfeited God. There was demonic activity involved with black magic. It's blatant Satanism is really what it can be. But sometimes there's white magic. Uh, it's Satanism under the cloak. Uh, it's like it looks like it's this must be supernatural. It must be from God. Simon was connecting everything to God. Here, the great power of God. Um, Samaritans had messianic hope, and maybe through this man, maybe possibly, this is something related to the Messiah. That's the kind of attention that he has gotten this swelled up to. So we must put this story up on in, in high esteem because... Uh, I've got to think of these as Stephen and Philip, right? Philip is going to deflate this balloon that had just expanded out rapidly. Comes preaching the gospel, and he does the miracles that Christ did. And now, all of a sudden, people who were following Simon Magus are now following Philip. That's amazing. What's he going to do? Philip moves in, and we know that um, the miracles have been done. People are joining up. Philip's message really involves two things. The kingdom of God, and that's the general sense. The whole thing. God is in control. God controls the universe. God is the creator. God is the sustainer. But he also gets to the specific. This is the second part of his message, and that's dealing with the Messiah or the name of Christ. He's preaching the name of Christ. Right? Because it says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching, heralding the good news about the kingdom of God, there's your general aspect of who God is and His whole kingdom. And the name of Jesus Christ. Specifically, He gets into the Messiah. So, the, here's, here's God. That's a general truth. Here are the specific things. I think He was preaching the whole counsel of God right there in Samaria. And people are really following Him. And Simon Magus thought he had a crowd. They just left. Uh, so Simon Magus is going to go there. Uh, I will tell you that it says that many believed. Matter of fact, it says in verse 13, even Simon himself believed. And he was even baptized. This guy has to be the real deal, right? He continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. He's seeing what they're doing. He's saying, <laughs> yeah, he is doing something a little bit better than I am. i got to find out what it is so I can put it into my act. I can't lose my following. <laughs> In John 2, right at the end of John 2, it explains why a lot of people can be believers and yet not true Christians, not true conversions. Verse 23. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Many believed in His name, observing His signs, which He was doing. Oh, they loved what they saw. 
But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. He knows what's in their hearts. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Anybody can believe. The demons believe and they shudder. Oh, a lot of believers here in the world, that they would say that Jesus died on the cross. Died on the cross for our sins. But they don't take Him into their life. There is not a conversion. Simon Magus was amazed by this. This is his business. Simon Magus is really believing, yeah, this is happening. This is, yeah, I've got to find out what's going on here. And uh, I want to be a part of this. So, Jesus knew when people were not true believers. He knew their faith was not the faith that uh, actually saved. So anyway, we see the part four here. And here we have Simon Magus or the sorcerer's sin. Verse 14, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Peter and John are apostles. They're part of the twelve. And they were there at Jerusalem whenever the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jews. That's where it first started. Now it advances to Samaria. Those guys weren't around. They didn't see that. They didn't know what happened. There were people now who were now trusting in Christ. But they really they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you know, there are actually some denominations that say we are to be baptized in Jesus' name only. They're called, they're called Jesus' name only. And I think uh, one of them is the Pentecostal... Um, one that's Pentecostal. And you'll notice this verse right here, it says, these guys have been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They weren't baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the whole triune God. But you know, And then later on out in Ephesus, there was people that were being baptized uh, concerning John the Baptist. They didn't even know about Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit. And so you got Paul being out there and he witnessed it. You have the apostles that now are going to clarify what had happened in Jerusalem now is real not only to Peter and John, but what these believers now in Samaria have is true as they see Peter and John. It doesn't say that they speak in tongues here. Very possible that they could. So chapter uh, 2, now we have chapter 8. I would tend to think so, but he said they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, they received the Holy Spirit. doesn't say anything visible. I tend to think it could have, though. I don't want to read into the text. But that would verify to Peter and John, these guys are for real, that would verify now to the Samaritans that this is real because we experienced this. We heard each other speaking in the languages that they did. So it's verifying that something's happening. Well, absolutely for sure, the Holy Spirit has now come and now dwelled in the believers at Samaria. They laid their hands on them, identified with them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he sees this. I have to think there's probably something visible happening here. He offered them money. Offered them money. You ever heard such a... Well, it's an offering, isn't it? 
It's an offering. Well, he's just blown away by this. I want to give in to this ministry. What really is his motive? Saying, give this authority to me as well. Just like Peter and John. They're the ones who have the authority to do this. When you see this happen again, you're going to have Peter in Acts 10. Cornelius spreading on out. Gentiles. And Peter, as an apostle, is there to verify again. Every time it happens, you have apostles there to verify it and then to the people to sing, hey, this is the same thing happened in Jerusalem as Peter and John will be saying. This is, this is legit. This is legit what's happening in Samaria, folks. They, and Peter and John's going to go back to Jerusalem and say, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> and Peter's going to have to deal with the Cornelius thing. You know, the animal skins and eating uh, uh, unclean animals <laughs> and such, representing going to Gentiles. Well, Simon has finally figured it out. He says, hey, if you can't beat them, join them. So, he uses his smarts. He's impressed by Philip, Peter and John. He thought uh, maybe Philip had another particular bag of tricks to add to his bag of tricks. What a commodity that he would have here. And so, I'd like to buy your trick. And magicians would do that, and they'll still do it today. They find a trick that somebody's doing, and they want to know how they're doing it. They'll go and buy that from them. Probably pay thousands of dollars to get that trick for themselves. And so, this is what Simon thinks. I'll buy this. And he treated Peter and John like other dealers in the black arts. How much do you want for your trick? Yeah. He's a, a demon-infested individual. You see where he's coming from. He's been practicing the black arts. He has the power of capturing people, or he did have it, and he needs to get those miracles where he can continue to be up at least where they're at, on their level. And the word uh, uh, Simone actually is an ecclesiastical word. It comes from uh, this man's name and it means the illegal buying and selling of ecclesiastical offices. Well, Peter, um, who has come up to... I say up to Samaria, but it's really down to Samaria. That's hard to say. When you go north, you usually say up. But to the Jews, it's going down because Jerusalem is elevated. So he went down to Samaria as he went north. So here we are. He's wanting the authority. He's wanting to pay. And Peter has not a mild rebuke at all. And I want to embrace you, embrace yourselves, or uh, to maybe protect yourselves here. Uh, hang on to your hats. Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. J.B. Phillips has a translation on this and I think it's done very accurate. And when you deal with the word perish, you're dealing with more than just die. Okay? You know what Peter is saying? And I have to be careful with this. But this is really what it's saying in our vernacular that we can understand how t- 
terrible it was of what Simon Magus had just said. Peter says, to hell with you and your money. That's J.B. Phillips' translation. I was listening to Alistair Begg, and when I heard that, I about flew out of my seat. <laughs> Alistair Begg said, to hell with you and your money. Peter said that. Well, Peter is a pretty salty fisherman. And we know he did uh, cursing uh, whenever you know he was denying Jesus, whatever that cursing was. It might not necessarily have been some of the words that we think is cuss words, but uh, very possibly could have been. Uh, this, this is amazing. He said, I know exactly what you're doing. And um, he, he has inspiration of God's Spirit there and he's telling where this man's heart is at. Remember, he can, whenever he is inspired, he can say things of God that really we can't see into hearts. Because he inspired, he's able to say some things. You don't have any part in this manner at all. You know, everything was looking good. Simon has become a Christian. He's a believer. He's been baptized. And now he wants to bless people with the Holy Spirit. He... That's what people are thinking. This is great. This is the best thing that's ever happened. You know, when um, some Hollywood actor becomes a Christian, and they may well become a Christian, but some look like they become Christians, and they start speaking everywhere when they really haven't even had time to read the Bible, and they're out telling their testimony. And then about a year or two years later, they fall off the wagon or just do something crazy, and everything just you know just falls out. And you go, wow, I wonder what happened there. Yeah, Barb. Well, they He went on his uh, crazy deal then, huh? Yeah, you know, he was doing all those things to get arrested. And then he said he became a Christian. He said he one day and he got the And you hear of that quite frequently. You know, we don't know. We can't see into hearts. And so we don't know for sure. Um, I'm glad God does. And He's the one that reads the hearts. That's the reason Peter could say this. But, you know, sometimes you can pretty well read into motives. And he knew what the Simon Magus was doing. And this guy is a pretty famous guy. And, uh, boy, it had been nice to have him on board, wouldn't it? You could have him just go anywhere and everywhere, and he's just going to allure thousands. And Peter says this. May your silver perish with you. May the money that you have as you go to hell be with you. You know, it's going to die. It's going to go to hell too. That's the thought. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. And he keeps going. I had a guy debate me one time. I wasn't debating, but he said, Oh, Simon was a Christian. You know, he just sinned here. But uh, it says right here that he believed. I said, there's no doubt that he's believed. Uh, does, does believing Jesus make you a Christian? Does believing and being baptized make you a Christian? Well, it sure sounds right. And most of the time you tend to think that that is true. Those, those are good things. It doesn't mean one's a Christian, though. And so here's what we have to look at. Whenever I dealt with him, I said, well, we have, we have Peter here giving him this horrible rebuke. And then it says, you have no part or portion in this. This whole Christian man, you don't have any part with it. No portion. That's good enough. Peter keeps going. For your heart is not right before God. You're not justified. You're not right before God. A Christian is right. For, now, we can have a bad attitude and be not right before God. But he goes deeper. 
Therefore, repent of this wickedness. Evil. I, I wonder if the word is related to paneros. Never in the New Testament do you see a Christian being related to evil, to wickedness. We've been converted from that. Now, we might sin, but we're not ever called evil and wicked anymore because we are of the Lord's. But anyway, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord, and look at this, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. Christians are always forgiven. But Peter says, if possible, relating to one who is an unbeliever, Pray that it possible that you might be forgiven. Then he says, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. You're held that. You're in bondage. You're in the bondage of iniquity. Are Christians in the bondage of sin anymore? No, we've been delivered. I think this is a harsh rebuke. And I believe, as I have never seen any Christian commentators say that this is a believer. And uh, he just sinned here. Uh, I, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, with, with Scripture here, I, I think it's very clear. I think Peter knew exactly what was happening. You have no part. Your heart's not right. You have wickedness. You're in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. And pray that a possible that you be forgiven. And the way that Simon answers it, says, well, you pray yourself then. You know, you You pray. For your, you know, so that nothing what you said may come upon me. <laughs> I, I think Peter said, you know, he knew what was going on here. We don't need this man and his testimony for us. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. That's Peter and John. They went back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans as they were going back, the villages, and it just spreading like wildfire. But there was a reason. Why would God put this sorcerer in here? If it was some little guy that nobody ever knew, could have made a mention, but I think he is well known, and it's mentioned in the second century by the early church fathers, and they knew of this Simon Magus and how evil and how wicked that he was that he practiced afterwards and, and to see his lifestyle after that and then continue to go and preach that he was God. That is one who probably... And he opposed Christianity by trying to slide in. See how Satan worked? He was trying to say, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll be real cool about this and let this man that is really into the occultism, come into the church and do his trickery and yet claim to have the Holy Spirit. And Peter comes in, pops that thing down, and stops that immediately. There's a lot of discernment having to happen. And, and Stephen had that. Philip has this. And of course, Peter, John, they have it, the apostles. And uh, anybody who studies the Word of God is filled with God's Spirit. That's, that's the idea. They too can discern a lot of things. We may not know exactly all the inward things that are going on, but 
if somebody is uh, delving into the church and their heart is not right and uh, they're doing things that could cause problems in the body of Christ, then it takes you know people to examine those things, test them. So anyway, I uh, think that rather than the church being down 50 to nothing and in the bottom of the ninth with two outs and two strikes, I think the church is way ahead and just have hit a grand slam home run again. The church is always winning, but it looks like it's down and it's out. They lost this great man, Stephen, and look what God did. And then you, and then you, now you see what's happening in Samaria. And Peter and John have just seen it and they're going, yeah, it's a real thing. It's happening there too. I'm convinced. But it's going to take another thing by God and, and, and Peter at Cornelius' house to really convince Peter as he will open the door to the Gentiles for Paul to then step in and take it out further. What a plan God has. This is a story that is true. Any questions, comments?